Welcome to the Stronger Business Podcast, where we discover how to get stronger together. What is up, entrepreneurs? We are back in the studio on the Stronger Business Podcast. Our guest today is going to be extremely entertaining, extremely educational. I mean, he's done something that less than 1% of business owners ever achieve and ever do. He's had a seven-figure exit strategy from one of his many businesses. He's gone through cycles of different businesses over time, all of them having a theme of somewhat disrupting industries, doing something better, doing something different. He pursues with a passion that I have rarely ever seen the energy, the expertise, the things we're going to learn on this podcast from my man, Eric Vavang, is going to be amazing. Eric, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thank you for having me, Chad. Thank you. All right, man. Today is going to be fun. We were sitting here talking, chatting about business, and I, just in the 10 seconds we were talking before we started this podcast, I learned you have a new business, something you started recently, which we're going to talk about at some point, we're going to get to. But before all that, man, where did your entrepreneurship where did your business journey start have you always wanted to own your own business have you always been a hustler and a wheeler and dealer how did we get to the starting level of eric vavang the business owner absolutely so i think i think my very first like journey with money was with my dad when i was like five six years old and you know just to be like really clear we were we were pretty much homeless you know uh-huh. and a lot of my childhood was really crazy and this this part of my life i remember i was i was we were homeless we lived in a car and by evening my dad would deliver pizzas okay or like you know it was pizza hut or dominos or whatever and i remember you know it was all about like i would sit there and i was hoping he got a good tip because if you know he came in the car and he got stiffed you know, and maybe got a dollar or less, he was super mad. And I remember going like, oh man. So what happened over time was I'm in the car like, man, I sure hope these people tip him good. Cause when he got a big tip, like five or 10 bucks, he's in there, the radio's going up, we're having a party, everything's great. You know, next house, they stiff him again. And now the mood's back somber. So as a kid, like, you know, listen, I know this is probably like childhood trauma. We could classify it there. But as a kid, I, I found out early on that like when people get a lot of money or, you know, to him, five bucks is a lot, like people are happy. And if we don't get money, you know, people are sad. So then my first, like going out there and doing business was uh, on the golf course. So my dad ended up leaving my life about six, seven years old. And then my grandparents took me in and we lived on a golf course right on the seventh fairway. And of course the golfers would slice the ball it uh, go into our yard, and I set up a little stand, and I sold golf balls. <laughs> you, you sold their own golf balls back, back to them. Back to them, and so I, yeah, we and we get we get more money. That's for the a low local cost balls. of goods there. That's Ab- awesome. Absolutely, and so I started with the golf balls, and of course I learned that like a normal golf ball would you know maybe get twenty five or fifty cents, but if it was like a Titleist, and even back then I think you know even now Titleist is kind of the ideal golf ball, but back then they were too. So if it was a Titleist and it was clean, I could get like fifty cent, and then for whatever reason logo balls. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore but if they had like a logo on it that was a really that was big desirable deal. yeah okay. very desirable so this is what i was born in 85 so this is probably early mid 90s they probably just started being able to put logos on golf balls right <laughs> so uh that was a big deal so i could sell logo balls for like a dollar but then then i expanded and i started selling sodas so i remember this is one you could get a 12 pack for a dollar 99 
my grandmother would take me to Ingalls, like local grocery store. We'd come back with six or seven 12 packs. So I'd fill the cool, my all summer long, uh, my morning started with, you know, bringing the golf balls. I had like a card table set up right there off the, you know, seventh fairway. And uh, we'd fill a cooler, ice, the whole thing. But you know what I did, right? I drank the profits. So <laughs> by the end of the day, I'd, I'd be all jacked up. So I'd the, have like six The coats. golf course didn't like shut you down? or they So, were... yeah, so they did have marshals. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and, this was like a smoking mirror. Yeah. Oh, dude. You had to like throw a sheet over your stand. Yeah, the like so. my gra- I remember my grandmother going out out there a couple times and like defending me and be like he's just a kid like let him let him sell and but they would shut me down sometimes especially during tournaments if they had tournaments yeah. they shut me down but um yeah man that's i really i really enjoyed doing that a whole lot and it was, it was fun you know pe- the guys coming to talk to me i remember one time probably actually probably a lot they would ask me if i had any beer and so or alcohol right and so uh i would go back to my grandma i'm like hey i mean these guys if i had alcohol. some beer we could crush know, it we, we could have we could have really crushed it out there man so that was that was my first my first business i guess man i love how at an early stage it, it sounds like uh you know a, a tough childhood and things you went through there that's that I'm sure you know was was hard physically and emotionally, but that it, I mean, it's interesting. I've never heard anybody make that connection between like money being in a good mood and not money being in a, or or low tip being yeah. in a bad mood. And so, and that's that's an interesting dynamic of how that connects and kind of changes your mindset on money and how that things change hands and kind of guides you from how you look at things. It's I'm so intrigued by the psychology of money and how it's such a taboo subject in our society and nobody wants to talk about money or talk about how much you make or talk about what things cost or even people don't want to tell you their pricing sometimes even as business owners entrepreneurs and because of that people tremendously undervalue their services or their products and they don't charge it and so the whole like psychology of money and how people get there and how they're raised and stuff is just Super interesting. Well, speaking to the to the tip thing, the reason I brought that up, it was recently that I made that connection to my dad and the the pizza delivery job because I was out with someone recently and they're really well off. I I think finding I can't remember who it was, but I mean they're they they're doing well. In fact, yeah. they're probably doing more well than I am. And I noticed they were like, yeah, this person. They made that comment, right? You know, there's some people that always tip good. There's some people that never tip good. And then there's those that base their tipping off of what they perceive as good service or not good service. And so he spoke out loud. He's like, this person's not getting anything or, or whatever. And, and it always, it, like, it hurt my heart because it's like me, I'm that guy that I always tip, like, way too much probably. And I just, I committed to that even when I was, like, young and broke. It's just, and it's because of that. Because that yeah. guy was asking me, like, why would you, like, what's your what's your psychology behind this? Why would you tip this person even if they did a bad job? They, you need, that, that lets them know that they need to improve. And, like, I think that's the mindset a lot of the world. Like, you know, get what you deserve or whatever. Um, but I'm just, like, I always go back to that little kid. Like, man, this could change. a good day they, or a bad day this, for this you person. You know what? Maybe this person, like, you know, maybe I did get bad service. But maybe they're having a bad day. And this could be the catalyst that flips it. And maybe the Love next person. It. Yeah. And, yes. so, and that's not to, like, that's not something I just came up with. It's just something that happened in my life. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I don't do this to, like, I'm not saying it in a bragging way, but it it came from that. And I think it's actually one of the keys, too, that's always helped me in business, having that kind of open hands mentality. Yeah, but on both sides, uh, sharing in your what you're making and your success and giving and probably also the pursuit of money. And as for all of us at yeah. all stages of life, we're yeah. – 
in pursuit of happiness. And if you connect money to happiness or money to a good day, then you want to make more money and then Absolutely. give you money. So I love that, man. That's super cool. All right, so we go. We're, we're operating uh, Eric's Outlet Golf Ball Depot over here and, <laughs> and beverages on the side. Did you know at that point, hey, I want to be a business owner. I want to I want to own a pro shop or a convenience Dude, store or something from that. Absolutely. So like six, seven onward, now that I'm living with my grandma, like, I, you know, that's the MTV era, right? So all these, you know, hip hop's coming out. Uh, all the crazy videos, <laughs> MTV Spring Break. So, yep. you know, I mean, at seven, I was already thinking girls and Lamborghinis. Like, <laughs> I love it. That I mean, that I had, I had posters of both. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even on my, um, I had this mirror, and I remember, you know, of course, Michael Jackson was huge. And yep. So, I would like turn on some Michael Jackson, and then I dance and stuff, and write on my that say, like, I can remember this desk. I had this yellow Lamborghini, you know, with like now it would be like a really old school. It's like a 80s model probably or 90s model and it had the flip up doors and I'm like one day now I still just so the audience says I still don't have that yellow Lamborghini <laughs> I'm not even sure I would get it anymore because I'm you know married right. and I have four kids I would don't probably make sense. I don't know if it makes sense anymore but yeah I really did I mean I always and it's weird like I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say this but like not only did I want it not only did I want to be successful but I felt called to it I mean I just I just knew it was in me and then of course you know people speak speak that over you you know and to this day I'll meet someone new they may not even no, I have a business, but they're like, wow, like, you know, you know, you should own a business or you're going to be really successful one day. And like that started off pretty young. People kind of would speak that over me. Love it. I don't know what it was, but I guess maybe they saw my energy or my drive or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Did you, did you ever go into a W2 job growing up? Yeah. School? Yeah. Know? Yeah. And so, man, that's a great, that's a great point too, because I got like, you know how all the pieces of your life, when you look back and how they all fit there was this time in my life where my mom was coming back into my life quite a bit she had moved to the to georgia where i was staying and she was dating this guy who owned his own sheet metal shop now funny story about him he used to run drugs with like the cartel okay i mean true story then this uh this guy's name was larry he's passed away um but he he, he ran drugs for the cartel like f- literally flew cocaine back and forth and this was years ago like way before i was level yeah, next level drugs, stuff. Yeah. so so then he gets out of that or i think he like snitched on some people and then he got put in protective custody went to federal prison for a while uh so my mom's dating this guy well now he has a legit job owning the sheet metal company but i'm telling you he was a hustler <laughs> and probably because of his experience like this dude like kept cash like bundled up everywhere so i would go to work for him on this in the summers when i visit with my mom and he'd pay me 20 bucks an hour and all i did was just get in the truck in the 20 morning 20 bucks an yeah, hour yeah he was paying me 20 bucks holy cash, cow that's... cash money and and so and this is i was six, 15 16 so this is you know 90 Jeez, no, i was making like 625 at the time and that's what's crazy and like Every job I've ever like kind of looked into as like a W two or cash, I, I made pretty good money. Um, so I mean, so yeah, so we did that, and I just I just saw entrepreneurship, man. I saw him taking calls. I, you know, saw him. You know, I, I was always around these people that were juggling lots of things. Another cool job I got felt was, important, making money, significant, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah it's a, there's a draw to that. The energy, the and you pick up on it. Yeah, and you pick up on it. You know, one of the um, jobs I got, you know, when I was because I went into the army right out of high school. Then, as you know, I got in some trouble, and then I was incarcerated yep. for a little while. Uh, when I got out of prison, I 
I, this job I got was a construction job and I got so blessed. It was like my lucky day. The very first day I got out, first day on the job, the foreman didn't show up. And it was just one of those leg ups. And that's one of my, you know, it's one thing I tell a lot of people. I'm like, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. Like everything falls into place. And, and imagine my first day on the job, I just got released from prison and the main guy, the right was hand. You, were you scared to death that first day? or you Dude, like, wait till you hear what my boss told me to do. <laughs> so he picks me up, right? He picks me up. He's like, all right, um, unfortunately for me and maybe even for you, uh, Matt didn't show up. That was his name. And so now I had to run the machinery, and which was a, a skid steer. <laughs> so we had to go. He, he drives me. He's kind of prepping me for this whole thing. And he's like, listen, the owner of the house is going to be there. It was an owner builder thing. It was in Virginia Highlands in downtown Atlanta. And these properties are very tight. And this particular job for the construction folks out there, they had just done the basement pour. And so the whole basement slab and walls are up, but the dirt's peeled away oh, from yeah, the foundation. There's a five or six foot yeah. gap between so the walls. So my and... job was to get in that skid steer and just like kind of skirt around the, 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 the whole perimeter of the house, get a little dirt in the bucket, rotate your machine around, and put that dirt in and go all the way around. The, but I'm only working with about six to eight yeah, feet. Yeah, you can't go backwards or forward. You go backwards, you get a house, Dude, you go forward, you fall in the hole. So, and the last thing <laughs> oh he God. told me before he told me to get out of the truck was, hey, just act like you know what you're doing and you'll figure it out. And I, I go back to that moment so many times. Now, listen, going to the military, that was hard. Never done that before. Going to prison, that was really hard. Never done that before. So <laughs> yes. I'm used to doing hard things. I'm used to getting into environments where like, I literally have no clue what to do next except just not quit and keep moving forward. That's probably one of my best attributes. But that day, I'll never forget it, right? I had to, you know, I hate the phrase, fake it till you make it. But I had to that day. And I remember that guy, the, the guy paying my boss to do this job, looking at me and probably asking me, like, do you even know what you're doing? And I'm just like, I'm just like kind of shaking my head. And I did it. But you know what? By the end of the day, I was totally qualified and an expert on that Bobcat. And so, <laughs> and then, and then I became that day, I became the new right-hand man. So I got to ride shotgun. I mean, I say that, right? It's like, I don't even know if that's still a term, but I got to ride. I hope it is. I know. I hope it is too. I got to ride right up front with my boss in that big truck from the ages of like 21 until 23, 24. And I mean, I learned everything I knew from that man. Like, man, that's awesome. Yeah. He taught me everything. And that's, uh, man, I love that of just, hey, Alec, you know what you're doing? Figure it out. You'll be fine. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a theme that resonates daily in business, no matter Absolutely. what we're doing. I mean, every Absolutely. single day we're encountering stuff we've never faced before in entrepreneurship and business. And there, there's not, the foreman's not here. There's nobody no. else on the job and, site. There's you, somebody looking at you and you're like, oh, I got to figure out how to get this And you got to flip it too, like, because eventually, right, I became him. And so when it became time for me to scale, I was able to draw back on what he did for me. Yeah. And so, you know, I think any of us as managers, uh, I know I struggle with micromanagement quite a bit, you know, because mm -hmm. no one can do it like me and I like doing it all myself. But if you want to scale, you got to do what he did and just put the guy out there and just let him let him go. I mean, I could have easily busted that concrete wall down and cost him $30,000. It would not have been hard to do that. Um, 
but yeah, he, he pushed he pushed me out made and, me he, do it. and he empowered you he, he made you do it and he empowered you to do it and, and on some level gave you the confidence to know like hey you can do this and and he did it countless times i mean if we go back and so that company was a construction and remediation company so i mean one day we'd be pouring a driveway like doing the concrete and the next day we're working on wastewater treatment plants so it really was one of those like jack of all trades master of none kind of jobs yep um but there would just be random things pop up like there had to be sometimes there was meetings with the city over this massive government job and you have to show up you know to get the bid someone from your and he would send me i'm like 22 no experience about any of this stuff i'm showing up to these tables with all these old guys with you know all these plans out on the table and i literally was just there so they could get the opportunity to bid it and i'm like <laughs> so he did this to me constantly now that i'm thinking about it but think about how much that prepared me yeah you know I what agree. i mean 100 i have no idea what i what they're talking about you know easements and this and that and you know all these grading terms but and you know what that's how you learn i think a lot of people and uh, and entrepreneurs are more adapt and risk tolerant to to put themselves in positions or places they're uncomfortable or things they don't know or around you know a situation of something in business that they're just not experienced or familiar with. But I still think there's a huge hesitancy behind that for a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that they're doing that and getting out there and exposing themselves more than most people and new and unfamiliar things. But there's still a lack of like wanting to do it and wanting to have perfection and knowledge before they get themselves in that position. But I know for me, I had to come to terms uh, as a business owner and, and as trying to grow and scale and, and do things that I just didn't have anybody showing me what to do or there was no roadmap. I just learned faster and better by putting myself in those positions yeah, and instead yeah. of trying to read a book or learn about it online or some other format of course. like. There's something about like that Bobcat. You could have spent three weeks trying to learn on paper on the computer how to run a Bobcat or, or even practicing in some safe area of some gravel yard of dirt and gravel moving stuff around. But what you learned in that eight hours backfilling that basement is more than you could have ever learned in weeks or months of doing it in any other capacity. Absolutely, Chad. I think you know the older I get, the more I realize that I'm not really that special. I just learned because of my life <laughs> events, like I learned somehow to survive really tough things. And so, like you said, I've become very like risk adverse and it's almost like a detriment to the individual who's grown up in a comfortable situation and been exposed to a lot of comfort in their life. Like that person, if they want to achieve the highest levels of success or just in anything, relationships or financial, whatever, they're gonna that their backs are I mean they're already kind of behind the curve because of the comfort that they lived in and they're gonna have to do something extra to throw themselves into those things just like you talked about I mean it is much easier for me I mean like you talked about this new business idea that I'm doing like I've learned now about ideas and visions for business every idea that we get I, and this is just my truth and I believe this to be true that when you get a good idea and when you get a vision for something I believe you got it because it's possible. I don't believe any idea is bad. I don't believe that these business ideas that we get and the, the listeners are gonna get are bad. I think, I think they're actually possible. And a second element to this is I think you may even have been chosen or really I like the word invited mm -hmm. because I think, I think a lot of people are chosen but only a few actually walk into it. So I like to call it an invitation as opposed to being chosen. So 
I think ideas are good. I think they they think they all would work. I mean, even the crazy idea that we get, right, of like this device and like, you know, like we know we're never going to do anything with it, but we get this crazy idea. It would work if you simply started it and stayed consistent with that's it. That's right. How long it takes for it to work or or how what you got to go through it, to get it to work? Who yeah. That's the end zone. And, so, right. and, and so as I'm getting older, I'm like, okay, I got an idea. Boom. And so now I weigh it and I'm like, is it worth is this something that lines up with like my full vision, my 20 year vision for my life or 40 year vision, whatever. If it does, and then I take it to like the next phase and now I have, you know, I am a pretty spontaneous person. So now I have like this three day rule because I know my brain, like even <laughs> going into the serotonin levels, right? And the dopamine levels, like I know I'm gonna get like really, really high and then I'm gonna get really, really low. And I'm a like as you know, you're probably like relating yeah, I'm to this in so that much. world. You live in I, this world. I have my own barriers and timelines before I yeah. can make decisions or yeah. do things. Yeah, but I didn't start doing this three day thing until very recently, like probably a year ago. And so, but now I'm like, okay, three three days. So okay, so I got an idea. I'm like, cool. This lines up with my life. Okay, now we're gonna go through three days of like weighing it because that initial excitement of a new idea is going to wear off, especially when the reality of the work that's required like hits hits the table and you know what it's going to take to walk it out it's like signing up to go to war in the military like a lot of people sign up and say i want to go serve my country but like when the bullets start flying right there's there's only a percentage that actually walks out the door yeah absolutely and so um and so once you make it through that three day that that three day phase from there it's just about being consistent Mm -hmm. and just knowing that the excitement phase is over. And uh, there's a lot we could dig into that because that's where I try to live now is managing. I do have lots of energy, but being a father and a husband and also now having multiple companies with partners now and employees, managing me is now becoming a big priority. One, So 100%. I'm, I live in that world too. Yep. I've, man, I've learned so much through the mistakes I've made through that process. Yep. Um, for me, my buffer... I have a 24-hour rule, and it started anything over $500, any expense or, or any outlay or contract or anything I sign worth more than $500, I need 24 hours to, mm. to think about it because I'm quick to want to make decisions. I want to say yes. I want to do things. that So ultimately, 80% of the time are bad decisions or something I shouldn't do or doesn't line up with the direction I should go. So for me to help control spending and help control bottom line of companies and business and personal life, I put it, I'm like, there's nothing I should ever have to impulse decide uh, over $500. I should put a 24 hour period in thinking about that. But what become even, what became more powerful than that for me is the, what I, after I, I put that in place for a couple of years, and I, and I do that with business partners too. We have in our things we own together, we have a certain level. We can't make decisions without both of us approving over a certain amount. Awesome strategy I recommend for everybody. Yeah. But what I learned more than anything, a couple of years into that, I implemented before I do anything that's going to make me over $500. Mm. Before I agree to anything that's a $500 or more revenue generator, yeah. I need to put a 24-hour period with that's it. That's good. Because yep. what was even more detrimental to me is the entrepreneurial curse of chasing shiny objects or chasing yep. business ideas yep. or chasing this or going to, oh, let me go do this and make money. I'm, yeah. I'm drawn to money. Money and happiness I'm, I'm to I'm laughing me. because I, I need to – I think I'm laughing because I need to do what you did first, now second. Now second, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, don't, I do not have limits on myself right, for so, spending. I need that, though, so, so I cut out 80% of my spending – uh, of bad decisions on high ticket items, and I, and I cut out eighty percent of the th- 
the races I was running and things I was chasing down yeah, yeah, that yeah. did not line up with my 20 year goal. Well, it probably helps because you looking at guys the, like me, P and L's, and you're like, man, these guys they're like blowing their money. I need to do something about myself. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, for all of yeah. us, it's it's the it's the spending money side, but yeah. but more detrimental for me is I would. You talk about business ideas. You talk about opportunities. Like at some point, we're drawn to those things and. I would start chasing things that make me money or that are opportunities, but are contradicting my 20 year goals or the direction I want to go. All for chasing the opportunity to chase. So I'm like, ah, I got to reel this in. And so that's, that's kind of been my similar filter of how to do that. So when I met you, man, you were in the sod business. You had Atlanta sod company. You were crushing it. We got introduced because you were about to consider going in through a transition of selling your business. Um, Really quickly, how did you get into the sod business? How did you grow it to where you were at? And then why did you decide to sell it instead of continuing to harness it for uh, the cash and capital behind it? Absolutely. So again, kind of stumbled into that too. So when I was working that construction job, we were pouring driveways and doing a lot of the infrastructure for this row of four houses for a builder downtown Atlanta. And one afternoon uh, he came to me and said, Hey, you know, you did all my grading. Would you, you know, lay the sod for me? And immediately I'm like, I don't do that. My mind, like I didn't have like the mindset to even say yes to that. So what I did is I recommended him to my friend who was a landscaper. My friend uh, did the job, got the job and did the first house. And when we came back, he kind of commented to me and, you know, to be honest, it wasn't the best job. Like it was, <laughs> it was pretty bumpy and it didn't get rolled out and it wasn't level. And he, you know, and so I was kind of embarrassed. The builder approaches me. He's like, man, this kind of, you know, didn't go well. Why don't you do the next house? He like begged me. No way. Yeah, because I was the one that ran the machine. I'm the one that made the ground level. So, and then he kind of talked me into it. He's like, dude, it's green side up. So now I'm like, and then once once again, (laughs) once again, check this out. My boss at the time, I mean, just man is a hero. He, he blessed me in this. He said, yeah, dude, just write him a proposal. He basically walked me through writing my first proposal like using some, you know, probably Microsoft Word or something. It's super simple. And I did the basics. I called the, you know, to figure out how much the materials would cost. I figured I'm going to have one guy help me do it. It's going to take me two days. And so I bid myself in there $400 or around $500 profit, like for two days worth of work. And everything went really well. And I'll never forget, like, you know, you have these light bulb moments in life. And, uh, at the very end, I got my check, right, and paid my buddy, like his part of it, and everyone was paid, and I made 400 bucks. And at the time, I was only making 15 bucks an hour, so this was almost a full week's paycheck <laughs> after taxes. And, uh, dude, that was the moment where, like, the seed was sown. Like, that seed was in there, soil was covering it, and it was ready to start taking root. And it would be a year later. Uh, and of course, and dude, to be honest, I got fired. I got fired from my job. No kind way. Of, yeah, I mean, that's a whole long story. But I started going to college, and I met this chick. Oh, there, yeah. yeah. So I was in college. <laughs> so I started going to other like, priorities. I was like, I was like, construction sucks. I'm gonna get. So I started going to uh, Georgia State to do aerospace engineering, and that was I was gonna be a rocket scientist. I had this whole plan, and uh, then I met this chick, and then just man, that became my priority, right? Because now I'm wanting to get married and all these things. Well, my I was underperforming at work, and uh, <laughs> yep, and I got fired. So, uh, so go back, going back to the W two question earlier, the most I've ever made on a W two working for anybody in my life was fifteen bucks an hour. That's the most I ever got up to. Wow! Now, I was making twenty dollars an hour on sixteen. But that was cash. cash. Yeah. <laughs> so most I ever made was fifteen bucks an hour. So when I got fired, dude, it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I was 
I was heartbroken. There was I remember there was a part of me though that was like, you know what? So you cared. So it was Oh dude well dude, I had just bought a house because everyone could buy a house what? in two thousand eight. Yeah. I just dude You I bought just, a house on fifteen dollars an hour? Yeah, dude. That's why the economy crashed. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the I'm telling you. Anybody, you bought a house in Atlanta. You know, well, no, no, well Conjure's coming to Nairobi. Okay. <laughs> but no, but the, seriously, I got my mortgage, I got my house like six to 12 months like in the middle of the housing bubble is when i got it so it all makes sense yes <laughs> i was does. like 23 24 years old 15 dollars an hour i got approved for a house <laughs> oh my god no lie 100, it was a hundred five thousand dollar house like an 800 dollar mortgage and i got approved for that bad boy probably no money down and uh then i get fi- then i get fired okay and i just got a brand new motorcycle like i was no, racking sa- up my no debt. savings right. no savings i'm trying to impress my girl and like dude like it hit the and so this was and so okay part of me is like okay i can get a job i'm pretty qualified so i go out and i'm talking i'm hitting up every construction company you know on i-20 i'm walking indoors i'm doing what you're supposed to do nobody would hire me i go three four weeks nothing and so i do what i think the only thing I could do at that time is I got on Craigslist. Craigslist was like a oh, big deal yes, at the time. Yes, for sure. I and love the, Craigslist. So this, I hope this helps someone. The very first thing I came up with was not the sod. I was going to do fencing. And I think I had some experience building fences, and that was the first thought of my mind. So I started advertising for fencing. I actually got some calls, go out to the job site. And uh, my very first bid for a fencing job was so out of my league. It was like concrete pillars, iron gates, and like it's crazy that my first call was probably like a $200,000 project or more. <laughs> and I and I walked with this contractor around the job for about 15 minutes and finally I just didn't know what to do. I was I literally told him I said, "Hey, I, I just have to tell you I don't know what I'm doing." Like it was so humbling like to tell this guy. So then I went back to the drawing board. Okay, fence company <laughs> No, like, and, and I learned some hard lessons there, right? Because That's probably the best thing that could happen to you. Uh, it, you got some like thousand dollar so, wood fence job. So it would have been a whole I, different I, outcome. I know, man. So so I just go back to the drawboard, and then I had this conversation. You hear people say this all the time. I have this conversation with myself, like, well, what do I know how to do? I don't have I don't have money to like get started, like to where you know where that requires startup. I had a truck. Now that was great. So, dude, I remembered. Oh, I can lay sod. Right, and so one of the greatest things that ever happened to me with the sod was when I went to go get my business name. I used LegalZoom, probably used my last two or three hundred dollars to get an incorporation. Because it's one thing I always tell people: like, I wanted to feel oh, like you it was to be real. To real, I wanted to be real. Yeah. And sometimes you just, I think sometimes getting that EIN just makes it feel real. Yes, legit. And I really recommend that to people because you can always dissolve it or let it go if it doesn't yeah. work You're out. You're proud of it at that point. It you really, got it. Yeah. I did it on LegalZoom, and you know what I named it? I I came so close to naming it like Eric's Landscape Company or Eric's Sod Company. But something told me to think big. And for me at the time, big was Atlanta, right? It's a big market. So I named it Atlanta Sod Company. The fact that you named it that and the fact the that game that changer. was even available I know. is like unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so when you go into like how – I mean this escalated so quickly. Once I started advertising on Craigslist, like I started getting calls like pretty – like Talk about sounding legit. Your name was Atlanta Sod Company. So then – then like a month or two in it, as my I had this janky website built by this guy at my church. It was like it was so bad, but it was working. The SE, because of the domain name, the SEO was rising yep. really quick, and so I would have these people call me and say, "Yeah, so uh, I bought sod from you 15 years ago, and I'm ready to da da da." Because they were they were basically <laughs> there were some other companies at the time called like Sod Atlanta was a big company. They ended up being bought out. Um, so yeah, everyone just thought I'd been around forever, and it 
instantly gave me authenticity. And then the rest is history. I just had to go out and do a good job. Right. And, and, um, because I always cared, I always cared about doing a good job and trying my best. And that's what I did. And so I started, you know, making a hundred bucks a day, 200 bucks a day. And you just learn fire by, you know, trial by fire. You know, I'll never forget the day. Um, I was making only about a hundred, 200 bucks a day, um, when everything would clear probably for a month or two. And I was just so proud of myself for that. Um, but then you get your first flat tire on the way home, which costs 130 bucks to fix or whatever. And, and you're like, well, crap, I guess I better charge or I best, I, I, I guess I better incorporate $200 profit into my business. Yes. You're learning. And business. so man, like, dude, you fast forward, you know, 10 years later, I learned to where I was clearing anywhere from four to $8,000 a day. Yep. And, um, and all of it came, I never went to business school, you know, and I, and I don't say that as a brag. It's just because honestly, if I was smarter at the time, I probably could have made it all happen faster. Sure. But where I'm at now, I'm really grateful for all that. And, you Man, know, and, no kidding. And you asked me the question, you know, just to go through all of that, there's so much there. Maybe we can do another podcast later, but um, I ended up selling it because halfway through, man, once I started doing over a million, two million a year, I just didn't know how to handle that. I mean, that's where it's... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it, that was the... It was really, you know... Unknown territory of what to do from here and how to manage this thing. You grew a... I guess you grew a bit of a beast and a monster and you're like, what do I do now? That's that's what happens. I think, I think a single person like running a service business can get it to 250K a year pretty well. And then if you're really hardcore and you work, you know, morning, noon, and night, I, in the weekends, I think you can get it to a million, million and a half. Um, but after that, if then, it, yeah. it's, it gets really hard. Set. It's yeah. a whole then other you, skill set. Then you gotta you gotta stop doing and start managing, and yeah. and, and you've gotta learn to to manage and scale. And I struggle and with that. Chad. Delegate. Yeah, it was killing me. Mm-hmm. It was it was killing me, man. And and you know, and and the only way I knew, and of course, I I, I didn't end up marrying that girl from college. Thank God, but I met an amazing <laughs> woman who's my wife now. And we have four kids. Um, and even during those times in Atlanta, towards the later years, we had three kids. We, we started out really early. And, you know, and the only way I was numbing the pain of working so much all the time and learning and making so many mistakes was by buying bigger houses and fancier cars and bigger vacations. And what happens is it's this feedback loop that's just growing the problem because you're creating more things to take care of more financial pressure and more more pressure. things to take care of and more things to do yeah. and yeah yeah and that's when i knew you know more stuff you got more yeah. to do with yeah. and, and that's when i knew chad you that like i knew on paper i mean we were so we got to the point where i was doing three i get, finally you know i learned how to scale learned how to delegate pretty well mm-hmm. and i got to where we were doing i think around three million a year mm-hmm. when i exited which was that was kind of a, a whole new wall that i ran into new challenges and I just knew in my heart that I needed healing. And um, I had gained a lot of weight. My marriage was falling apart. I wasn't present with my kids. And I definitely had lost just, I had zero passion for what I was doing as well. And uh, I, I knew, like on paper, again, I'm making probably six, 700K a year, um, which is amazing. So many people would want to do that, but I needed help. Yeah. no matter the cost. And so that's when I really explored selling my business, mm-hmm. exiting, because I knew I wanted a fresh start. And so that was a journey I went on, learned a lot, and ended up selling the business. Dude, I love that. And, and that's interesting. That's not the story I thought we were going to kind of unpeel and, and on that process. But it, so many business owners find themselves in that position. And man, I 100% agree with you. It is not easy. It is super freaking hard. And it takes so much sacrifice. But most people if they're just gritty enough can grow a business to a million dollars absolutely or one and a half million dollars but it is entirely 
different work-life balance to go from there. And if you're not good at hiring, if you're not good at managing, if you're not good at delegating, you end in you end up just stressing yourself out and doing a lot of the work and trying to be everywhere and everything to everybody. And you become a slave. You know, it's just yeah, the the you, wheels start falling yeah. off and you don't know how to keep them you, on. And you, so you, you, you become that business. Like you now are being ran by the business. You're not running the business. Oh my God, this is such an amazing episode. I cannot believe we are out of time. But guess what? We're not going to cut this off and end this now. We're going to continue part two with Eric Vavang next week in our next episode of Stronger Business Podcast. If you've loved this episode up until now, you are going to be blown away for all that is to come in the next episode next week. Stay tuned. Join us again for part two of Learning the Hard Way with my man, Eric Vavang. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Stronger Business Podcast. We're excited to come to you again next week with more tools and tactics to help you get stronger in your business and in your life. Check us out on Instagram at Stronger Business or follow us uh, on our website at StrongerBusiness.com. Have an awesome rest of your day and we'll see you next week.